from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Hearing your mother cuss at the, for the first time, I want to tell my grandma, you know, she's on all four knees, 90 years old. And it was like, well, another one screaming in Italian. Muchnik said, I want something sexy, jazzy. I put in the book and in the movie, I told the story. To me, wrestling fans were like the citizens of the Emerald City in uh, The Wizard of Oz. Don't ask what's behind the curtain. And you, so, and you believe, but it was also... There may be some staging in it, and we got some great stories. Bob Costas has a really great story in the film and in the book. But As much as you're having such a great success with this project, is there a small part of you that wishes, man, I wish I had just started that eight years ago? Oh, I, absolutely. I'm Sarah Funsky. The new documentary, debuting soon on the Nine Network, focuses on a cultural moment that for St. Louisans here in the 1960s and 1970s likely needs no introduction. Hello, everybody. Bush Bavarian, America's most refreshing beer, presents Joe Garagiola and Wrestling at the Chase. It has been off the air since 1983. And now, the main event. Yet for many St. Louisans, those four words still ring a bell. King Kong Brody. Jane Kanisky. The Pock. Gorgeous George. Bobo Brazil. Dick the Bruce. It was part opera and part soap opera, full of arm twists and plot twists. Whenever that TV was on, wrestling, we was watching it. Grandpa was beating the sofa, and Grandma was beating the other sofa. Kevin has the claw! The spinning toe hold. The atomic drop. The figure four leg lock. The Las Vegas leg lock. The sleeper hold. The jump off the top rope with the knee and the headbutt. I would call it a violent ballet. And that is from the new documentary film, Head Over Heels, Remembering Wrestling from the Chase. It debuts on the Nine Network on Saturday, June 4th. And here today to discuss it with us is Ed Wheatley. He is the author of Reedy Press's Wrestling at the Chase. He's also a producer on this new documentary film. Ed, welcome back. I'm glad to be back. So, Ed, a special treat today. You brought with you today the ringside bell that KPLR used from 1959 to 1983. I feel like this sound is really going to take it's, folks back. It is. It's the holy grail, and it's like Pavlov's dog. You're not. You hear it? It's not food. It's wrestling. So get ready. Once you hear this, you're going to think about wrestling. Let's hear it. Oh yeah. I feel like we're in the ring, and we should be grappling or something. It is. I don't know that this would end well for either of us. I'll bet you everybody's got a smile on their face that's listening to now. <laughs> just just hearing from that, that, that sound. Yeah. yeah. And this whole project, I feel like this project has been kind of a, a maybe surprising smash hit for you. You've done a lot of books. Yeah. This one seems to have really hit a spot for St. Louis. Well, I think it is. I mean, it's just that special memories. It's the fun of the the show, but it got it takes you back to a time where, you know. People lived in smaller houses. You know, you, you had a f- kitchen, maybe two bedrooms, but you had a front room. You didn't have these big living rooms, great rooms, uh, family rooms. You had a front room. Yeah. And there was only one TV, generally, if you were lucky to have one. And it had three channels before KPLR TV. So people were all huddled, these family members. And 
those are the special things, whether it was grandma screaming, hearing your mother cuss at the, for the first time as she was not liking what was going on in the wrestling match, or sometimes you and your brother reenacting it and breaking a coffee table or a lamp. Yeah, I mean, there were quite a few people oh. reminiscing about that. At the same time, it seems like a lot of people's grandmas oh. were really into this. Were you surprised to find that older female contingency? Pro wrestling was very popular for them in St. Louis. It, it, you know, in, in a way, yes, in a way, no. And the, the way I say no, because I remember my grandmother watching it with her all the time. And then, But once I got into the research and interviewing people all that was one of the first things they went to because in those times it was a different time today and a lot of people's grandmothers were living with them and things and yeah. you know especially the ones that were immigrants that came and lived in St. Louis and it was like I want to tell my grandma you know she's on all four knees 90 years old and it was like well, another one screaming in Italian or you know and it was it's just one story after the other you know I had to incorporate them in the book and then into the movie yeah and this movie is so fun because we hear from some of these super fans we also you know see some stuff in action give us a little context for people like me who didn't really see this era for themselves how did pro wrestling end up at one of the fanciest hotel ballrooms in St. Louis well I think that's a, that's the biggest part of the story and I you know from the very start when I was writing I said it was three legs of a stool you know, wrestling was, was just tremendously popular on television. You know, a lot of it was in bars, and people loved watching wrestling. There wasn't a lot of television in those days. As I said, there was just, you know, three channels here in St. Louis. Yeah. And then here came, came wrestling, and there was more revenue advertising from wrestling than baseball, football, and basketball combined in the early 50s. And why was that? It was just the love. It was this, yeah. it was just this craziness. So then, you, you, like I said, the three legs of the stool, there's the Chase Park Plaza, the most opulent hotel in St. Louis. And it's also the what Sam Coppler built around the town. Like, you know, when people go to the, to the um, symphony now and they're at Powell Hall, it used to be the St. Louis Theater. That was a t- Sam Coppler. He built it as a vaudeville uh, theater. They changed it with talkies to a motion picture theater, and then it became Powell Hall. There's all this architecture, and that builds up this... The, this hotel where kings, queens, anybody who was anybody, the chase was the place, and that was their moniker, the chase is the place. All the baseball players, everybody stayed there. And then you had the advent of how did television come to St. Louis? Mm-hmm. And then these two men, Harold Coppler, Sam's son, and Sam Muchnick, this great wrestling promoter, happened to be on an airplane. And wrestling was kind of ebbing down a little bit. It had been oversaturated. There were new things coming in. Mm-hmm. And they were on an airplane Coppler, I need programming. Muchnick said, I want something sexy, jazzy for my wrestling. You marry them in the most opulent hotel in St. Louis where men and women dressed to the nines. Women, you watch the film and you'll see women in evening gowns, evening gloves, men in suits and tuxedos sitting there ringside, you know, getting a little spritz of spit or sweat, you know. That was a battle badge, you know. And that's what it really was. And Poor Joes who could never get to the yeah. uh, into the chase because of the s- social differences, they were now invited. They could come to this. Yeah. So these tickets were like the hottest thing in town. There mm-hmm. was a three to four month waiting yeah, list. Yeah, it was like Saturday Night Live. Was, this yeah. was the must-see TV of the 50s and 60s, you yeah. know? But this what was, I love is these tickets were free. They were free. Like they could have clearly charged for oh, that, yeah, but yeah. they didn't. No, it was they were free. You get the ticket, you know, and to the guy who calls his wife, I got tickets to the chase now, honey, we're going to chase. And she, well, Frank Sinatra's there, right? No, no, we're going to wrestling. We're going to wrestling. But you <laughs> what? That's where you got seen, you know, in the chase, like I said, it was a chase club, Rosemary Clooney, Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, they were all there. This was one of the top nights uh, clubs across the country in the United States. 
And so they bring wrestling here. And part of what the film got into that I thought was just kind of an amazing moment. At one point, they did end up moving from the ballroom mm-hmm. to they're doing these matches at the KPLR studio. And the idea was they wanted to tape three matches at once, but they still continued to do it with a live audience. Yeah. So how did they make that work so that it didn't look like they're all doing it all at well, the same day? To back up, it was at the core sand room until 1967. But, you know, every week they had to change. Because the social events were always taking place in this busy hotel. And then the advent of color TV, the the equipment was heavy. The equipment was very, very fragile, and you couldn't keep taking it down and putting it up. So they they moved from the Coruscant Room and bought a property and built a studio right behind the – if you're in the Coruscant Room today, the stage was right behind it. And they decided we would film three shots in one uh, episode, you know. And so what they would do after the first – program the, the announcers would change their clothes and they would ask everybody to rotate around the studio so that you would have a different camera frame and it wouldn't like it like hey we just saw that last week it's new everything yeah so just a totally different audience yeah. arrangement the yeah. announcers are in different clothes right people really thought this yeah. was it was a new one you know and it was it was a totally new set of matches but it was filmed on the same day as the one previously i love that and so you get into sort of that stagecraft in your film you also get into when some people came to the rude awakening that this was staged, and I hope I'm not breaking uh, news here for anybody listening. I, I feel like I'm telling people Santa's not real. Maybe there's someone who, who still believes. Well, they, I mean, I'm still, today, whenever we're out and people want to talk about it, they still, oh, no, you, you know, it, it really was. I mean, there was two parts to it, is that one, it, it was theater on a mat. And the, the evolution of understanding this is how, you know, when wrestling really took off, it was right in the time, in the 1920s, you know, right across the... The street from the chase in, Par- in uh, Forest Park was the first 1904 Olympics. It was the first time they had freestyle wrestling. Before that was all this grunting, and Greco-Roman, you know, it's all your shoulders. So it started adapting. And vaudeville, the Roaring Twenties, people wanted action. And, boy, this fell right into it with this freestyle wrestling. And, you know, it was like I put in the book and in the movie, I tell the story. To me, wrestling fans were like the citizens of the Emerald City in uh, The Wizard of Oz. Don't ask what's behind the curtain. Yeah. And you so, and you believe. Now, people still believe, but it was also, there may be some staging in it. And we got some great stories. Bob Costas has a really great story in the film and in the book. But, uh, it, you know, it really, the other part of it is these were tremendous athletes. Yeah. Unbelievable strength. And, you know, that and they did get hurt. Fake. No, that part. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to have Andre the Giant step on you or lay on you yeah. at 500 pounds? But, you know, most of them were all tremendous football players. And Sam Muchnick, the big wrestling promoter, would say, hey, come work for me. You're going to make a lot more money, and you're not going to get hurt. I mean, Dick the Bruiser, one of my favorite pictures in the film and in the book is this picture of the Green Bay Packers from the 1950s. And there's this big, huge hulk of a man right in the middle of the team picture. It's Dick the Bruiser. And, you know, we have uh, Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, tells the story about, you think this is fake? You know, how he banged his head, and, you know, it's all blood and everything. There were certain parts of the stick, but it was tremendous athletes. We're talking today to Ed Wheatley. He is the author of uh, Wrestling at the Chase, and that's now become a documentary mm-hmm. film. It debuts on the Nine Network on Saturday, June 4th. It's called Head Over Heels, Remembering Wrestling from the Chase. 
So, Ed, you have some great stories in here. The film also fleshes out a story that you tell in the book about the ringside announcer, Mickey Garagiola. Oh. Everyone in St. Louis always gives me grief about how I pronounce that last name. I should let you take that one. Sure. He in- initially turned down yeah. this opportunity. Why? It's a well, great well, opportunity. Well, before that, just to, uh, to set up the, the, the story is, you know, he's Joe Garagiola's brother. Yeah. You know, the, the fame. And he... Uh, bo- ball player, cardinal announcer, who comes and does the first three years of wrestling at Chase before he leaves to go do the Today Show in New York. Well, Mickey is uh, a head waiter up at Ruggeri's on the Hill. And, you know, they said, well, come on down. You can, you know, add to the the fun because this guy's, you know, we, just the stories in the book about Mickey are endless. And, you know, you we had to figure out which yeah. ones to put into the film because we, we could have had a whole film on Mickey. But, you know, he says, oh, I can't do that. Don't you know? Uh, Saturday nights are my big night. I can't be there. And Sam says, didn't your brother tell you we tape on Mondays? <laughs> and Well, I can't do anything. I don't know anything about it. Can you read? Here's, here's the card. You can read. And it is. And, you know, Mickey is just, there's so many stories from creating toasted ravioli to, uh, you know, the misprops of his speaking and whatever, it's just its just tremendous. He's a true character. It seems like he's one of the few people who, here he is a waiter on the hill. He's famous even yeah. before he takes this gig. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, you know, I, 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 put in, I put in the book, and I think we got in the movie, his business card says, Mickey Gargiola, in parentheses, underneath Joe's brother. And I always wondered, did Joe's card, business card, say Mickey's brother when he came to St. Louis? Yeah, what a character. You also get into, I'm sure many people remember, ringside announcer Larry Matisek. He's a part-time auxiliary police officer. How did he get his big break to be the ringside guy? Well, you know, and Larry Matisek is, is was the last announcer, the guy with the wild and flamboyant uh, sport coats. But, you know, as a, as a young child, he fell in love with wrestling, and he would write these notes and letters to Sam much like, because I want to write about wrestling. And he wanted to Wrestling magazines were as popular as movie star magazines of the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. I mean, be, and they had this whole cult of, of uh, wrestling magazines. And he would write articles, and he wanted permission. And so as a young teenager, he would write Sam Muchnick. And Sam Muchnick brought him into his office, and, you know, they, they created this mentorship protege uh, arrangement. And he took him under his wings and taught him the ropes of wrestling. And then, you know, as a young man of just in his early 20s, 24, he becomes the announcer, and you know he—it's his voice and that bell we just heard that people resonate with and uh, just go crazy. And so he's just that super fan, kind of yeah. gets tapped and, and cultivated oh. and mentored, and it is. It, it just you know he the, the excitement, and that was the thing that we talked about. You know, as early like Costas and I were talking with so many of these announcers across the country. The sincerity they brought to this, you know, they made it seem real. They made it so special because it was the way they they brought it to you. And, you know, you painted the picture of what they were telling you. And, it, it gosh, it's got to be real. He's talking, you know, the way they did it. And so Larry was a very special uh, uh, man and, you know, is, is one of those fond memories just as Mickey. I mean, that's the problem yeah. with this thing. There are so many characters, and they're not all wrestlers. Yeah. And, you know, you can have you have those wrestlers that everybody's got a favorite. you got the announcers who were favorites, and uh, on and on. It, that's what I think is, is the touch, is everybody's yeah. got a – I mean, I walked in, the receptionist, oh, you're the wrestling of the chase guy. Yeah. 
I want to tell you a story that was in the receptionist downstairs. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got a story. Even at St. Louis Public Radio, people have a story. So uh, I loved this film. And as you say, it's just jam-packed. you got so many Mm -hmm. different voices in it. At the same time, it's kind of sad. I mean, Larry Matisik has has passed away. Many of these guys have now passed away. As much as you're having such a great success with this project, is there a small part of you that wishes, man, I wish I had just started that eight years ago? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and... uh, it was one of those things. See, Larry had written a little book of his his memories uh, back at the turn of 2000 and that, and he uh, always wanted to do a coffee table book. And, you know, I've done multiple ones of them for, you know, St. Louis Sports. And, you know, it was like, hey, this is the special. And it's like, you know, it is because the thing of it is, is these projects I like to do is to take back people in time to those special memories when, you know, St. Louis was a special town in America. It was, you know, whether it's the Chase, whether it's you know the Cardinals or whoever, people gain these memories, and it's we get t- kicked in the teeth a little bit in St. Louis over you know different issues today, but we can shine a light and bring back, hey, we were good and we can still be good. Yeah, and this is a special town, and we have special memories. So do you feel like getting to talk about wrestling at the chase with so many St. Louisans, you're giving us all that chance to almost bask in oh, that glow you, you again? You relive it. And it's not, it, you know, it's just not the memory of wrestling. It's the memory of sitting in that front room, as I call it, with that one TV surrounded by your grandma, your parents, your brothers and sisters, all bonding together. You don't see that in houses today. Yeah. You know, people aren't together. We've all got our own screens. The, We're in right. our own bedrooms doing right. our own thing. Or even if you're sitting there... With your wife watching TV, she might have her iPhone or her iPad going. I mean, it's like, but it was different. You were all, and you're talking to each other watching this. And the other thing that it brought out a little bit is everybody remembers a special, like, did you have popcorn? Did you have soda? You know, my grandma and I spoke of earlier. She would make root beer floats. Dad's root beer. Oh, I remember Dad's root beer, you know. Yeah. Everybody wanted to tell me what their special Wrestling at the Chase Treat was at home. People had their own family traditions. What a great tradition, and what a great project this has been. Ed, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you again. And Ed Wheatley is the author of Wrestling at the Chase. That book is still available from Wheatley Press, or from Reedy Press, in, I think, several printings at this point. Um, Ed is also a producer on the new film, Head Over Heels, Remembering Wrestling from the Chase. That documentary premieres on the Nine Network on Saturday, June 4th. It's at 8 p.m. If you want to catch this, relive those moments, being in the front room, wrestling on those couches, root beer floats with your grandma. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.